What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com, that's patreon.com forward slash baldhead bible, and there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Jeremiah was about 17 to 20 when the call came from God to begin his ministry. He would end up being a prophet for God, speaking the words of God to a people who did not want to hear from God for roughly 41 years. At times he got so discouraged that he just wanted to quit. And at one point he did try to quit, but as he says himself, he couldn't. He couldn't quit because the words of God burned within him. He had to speak. He had to prophesy. He couldn't keep silent. So what was a typical prophecy like for Jeremiah? If God had called him to a rebellious people, what did that look like? Well, I'm sure it changed a lot on the day, the temperature, you know, what it was like outside, the people listening on that particular day how evil they were, how angry, how happy. But you know what's interesting is Jeremiah chapter 26 gives us a glimpse into what Jeremiah had to face in terms of his audience on any given day. On this particular day, God asked Jeremiah to go speak at the beginning of King Jehoiakim's reign and to go speak in the temple courtyard. Now, the temple courtyard would have been the space just outside the entrance to the temple, and people would have been coming as they went in to worship Yahweh and and going as they came out from worshiping Yahweh. So, God asked Jeremiah to go speak, and to go speak a pretty hard prophecy at one of the busiest places in Jerusalem, and also one of the most beloved places in Jerusalem. See, the people of Judah treated their temple like a good luck charm, a a place that pretty much guaranteed them to survive and not be destroyed like their cousins to the north, northern Israel. Because they had the temple, all is good. You know, when you need your team to win, you rub your rabbit's foot, or you wear that fuzzy sweater with the bottom button unbuttoned because last time you did that, your team won. That type of good luck charm? Well, it seems that the people of Judah 
were treating the temple in Jerusalem that way. As long as they had it, as long as it was up, as long as it was there, they were safe from destruction. Well, God is about to use Jeremiah to give them some bad news. So Jeremiah walks up and stops in the middle of the temple courtyard at the entrance to the temple. And I imagine Jeremiah takes a deep breath and then begins to preach. Now the summary of what he preached can be found in Jeremiah 26 verses 4 through 6. It goes like this. This is what the Lord says if you do not listen to me by my living According to my instruction that I set before you, and by listening to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have been sending to you time and time again, though you did not listen, I will make this temple like Shiloh. I will make this city an example for cursing all the nations of the earth. Now, the longer sermon is found in Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 3 through 26. And in that sermon, Jeremiah basically says, for the people, you've got to stop thinking you're safe just because you have the temple. And hey, people, you have got to stop acting as if you are free from God's wrath because you offer sacrifices there. You know what the problem is, people? This is what Jeremiah is saying. You know what the problem is? You are hypocrites of the worst kind. You come into this temple offering sacrifices, all the while outside of the temple, you bow down to other gods, and and even worse, you burn your children as human sacrifices to them. But the amazing thing is, and this is the truly amazing part, that even then God is still gracious to them and told them that if they would repent, this is what Jeremiah is saying, you're doing all these hypocritical things, you're doing all these terrible things, including child sacrifice, but if you would repent, if you would no longer oppress the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods bringing harm on yourselves, I will allow you to live in this place, the land I gave to your ancestors long ago and forever. Jeremiah 7, 6-7. Wow! What a promise! He says if you stop oppressing the poor, if you stop shedding innocent blood, you know, I'll allow you to live in this land. What a promise! What grace! But God says that if you don't repent, God will treat the temple like he treated Shiloh. Now, what does that mean? Well, when the tribes of Israel first entered the land under Joshua, they set up the tabernacle or the tent of meeting at a town called Shiloh. And so before the monarchy was established under Saul and before David took Jerusalem and Solomon built the temple, the people would go to Shiloh to worship. But the thing is, you don't hear a lot about Shiloh after about David onwards. It seems that Shiloh was slowly abandoned by the priests and once the new temple was built, no one went there to worship. 
Essentially, God is saying, I will make Jerusalem and your current temple, like the one we had at Shiloh, forgotten and useless. You know, it's interesting that Jeremiah points out the way God has tried to call his people back, how he sent them prophet after prophet to try to win them back. But Jeremiah says they would not listen. Instead, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. You keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help, and therefore I'm going to have to make you like Shiloh unless you repent. And so Jeremiah preached this sermon, calling God's wrath down upon them unless they repent, calling God's destruction upon Jerusalem unless they repent, pleading with the people to repent, to turn, to come back to God. He pled with them over and over and over again. And in Jeremiah 26, we see their response to this sermon. We see this response to Jeremiah's preaching. You know what the response was? They tried to kill him. You know, and it's interesting. It wasn't just the average Jewish businessman walking around or just the average layperson. No, the people that tried to kill him The Bible says it was the false priests, the false prophets, and the people. They all seized Jeremiah. And they all said, let's kill him. Now I think, wow. Jeremiah must have been quite the preacher if he could move people to that degree, even if they're that angry at him. That is quite the preacher to move an audience in that way. So the people crowd around him, pushing him and screaming, let's put him to death. And they're yelling, let's put him to death. Let's get him. But now, thankfully, they had some vestige of law and order at this time, because when the head honchos of Jerusalem heard all the people yelling and screaming, they came out and they stopped the madness. And in that moment, the officials, the elders of Jerusalem They decided, we got to hold a trial. Now, scholars say Jeremiah 26 is one of the best examples of what a trial looked like back in those days. Well, trial, if you're going to have a big fancy trial, it started with the officials sitting at the entrance to the city of Jerusalem. It was called the New Gate. Now, the New Gate entrance, or any entrance to any city, was, the, was, was one of those places where people did business and where trials took place. Entrances to cities were the heartbeats of those cities. And here, the New Gate, this is where this trial was held. The New Gate is the heartbeat of Jerusalem. And so, the trial begins. First, the people bring their accusation against Jeremiah, and it was pretty simple. This guy preached against this city. He said bad things about Jerusalem. He said blasphemous things about Jerusalem and and about its coming destruction. Therefore, he deserves death. And you can imagine, yeah, 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 a throng of people gathered around the trial, looking on and cheering wildly, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, he's a traitor, he's an absolute loser, yeah, he's blasphemous, yeah, yeah, bring back the McRib. All sorts of things, probably, people yelled, and, and there, 
And there in the middle of it all, all the yelling and screaming for his head, stood Jeremiah, quietly. And he didn't say a word until it was his turn to speak. And now it's his chance to give a defense. And his defense was pretty simple. He says, God told me to speak these words, and if you turn and repent, then God's wrath will be stopped. Jeremiah 26, verse 13, basically sums up what he says. Obey the Lord your God so that he might relent concerning the disaster he had pronounced against you. That's his defense, and it's a pretty simple defense. No cries for how this violates the Constitution. No insanity defense. No, it was simple. Yahweh told me to prophesy this, and it will come to pass unless you repent and obey. Now, it's interesting to me that all the people picked up on was the prophecy of doom and punishment. Jeremiah had actually preached a message of destruction against Jerusalem, but also a message of hope. The wrath of the Lord is coming, but it can be stopped. It can be stayed if you stop following and worshiping these other gods. If you turn from your wicked ways and obey. You know, it's interesting. God promised all of this would happen in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. He promises blessings if they obey and cursings if they disobey. But the people... They only focus on the cursings. Why didn't they focus on the way out of the cursing? The one thing they had to do to avoid judgment. Obey. Why didn't they focus on that? You know, it's still true today, isn't it? We focus on what God is doing against us, or we focus on the Ten Commandments, and oh, they're all negative, people say. We just focus on what God has asked us not to do. You know, instead, we need to focus on, on who God is and the wonderful grace he offers it. But no, people, people will point out that all oh, the Ten Commandments, they're just man-made rules, promoting patriarchy, or... God is just a killjoy. He's about what we can't do. And the God of the Old Testament is too exclusive, too judgmental. And who wants that sort of God? But you know, it's interesting how Jesus quoted from this sermon in his day. You see, he's in the temple. And Jesus is seeing how people had again forgotten the need to obey, had forgotten the very point of the temple, which was to worship Yahweh, and instead had, as Jesus says, turned it into a den of thieves. And when Jesus used those words, he was quoting directly from the book of Jeremiah and directly from this sermon. And the prophets and the priests and the People who knew their Torah would have picked up on that and would have been aware of what Jesus was comparing them to. That of the Jews in Jeremiah's day who had left the worship of the one true God to pursue other idols. So Jesus uses the very words of Jeremiah to condemn the people in his day. And it was true in Jeremiah's day and it was true in Jesus' day and it's still true in our day. People willfully turn toward other idols and other gods and choose to follow them rather than the one true God, our one true Savior Jesus, 
And you know, there is wrath to come. And the final destination for many people will be separation from God forever in hell. And there is doom and destruction and judgment coming. And yet, God offers grace. God offers the people of today a way to avoid that judgment. God sent his own son to die in our place and to conquer death. And all it takes is to turn from idols to the living God and to ask him to save you. It's that simple. But it's also that hard. Over and over and over again, people choose those other idols. And they just focus on the wrath of God and they choose to ignore the part about God's grace and his provision in the life and work of Jesus Christ. He's provided everything you need to avoid the judgment, but people ignore his grace. Well, the people in Jeremiah's day did too. And they wanted to kill him. And so Jeremiah has to give his defense. And and as he's giving his defense, he ends with one more point he wanted to make. If you kill me, you kill innocent blood because God has asked me to do this. Therefore, if you put me to death, you will be guilty of killing an innocent man. The crowd was silent. The people all turned to look at the officials who had to make the decision. Jeremiah turned to look at the judges, the officials who had to make the decision. The guards surrounding Jeremiah turned to look at the officials who had to make the decision. The vendor selling t-shirts that said, bring back the McRib. He even turned to look at the officials. And, and then the officials, after conferring with one another, gave their decision, which was, Jeremiah is innocent and does not deserve death. Yes, thought Jeremiah. Yes, thought Jeremiah as the guards released him and let him go. And in response, the people, oh, they all begin to murmur and argue against themselves. And and then one of the officials stands up and I think he quiets the crowd because this is the other part of a trial, right? The judges give their decision, but then they give their reasoning behind it. One of the officials stands up and he says, hadn't the prophet Micah said this very same thing against Judah in his day? And then this official quoted Micah chapter 3, verse 12, Zion. This is what Micah said back in his day. Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become ruins and the temple's mountain will be a high thicket. And then this official goes on to explain that this prophecy was done about 70 years earlier and was given during the reign of King Hezekiah. And when he heard that prophecy, he repented. And the people turned back to God. And and when they did that, didn't the Lord relent concerning the disaster he was going to bring upon the people? So, this official goes on to reason, if we kill Jeremiah, we would be killing a man who was bringing a word from the Lord and we would be going against precedent. Our forebears were unwilling to kill a prophet just like Jeremiah. So why should we today? crowd again falls silent. The vendor selling t-shirts stopped yelling out his wares and the people turned and left. And so did all the officials. The trial was over. 
And there's Jeremiah left in front of the entrance to the city all alone. Except for his buddy Baruch, who we will meet later in another story. And you know what I think happens next? Jeremiah starts preaching all over again. And he starts to tell the walking throng all around him of God's coming judgment. And he also starts to preach of God's grace and the way out. And all they had to do was turn to Yahweh and obey. And still the people walking back and forth did not listen They just kept on walking, going about their busy lives, ignoring the words of Jeremiah. And you know who else ignored Jeremiah and ignored history and the example of King Hezekiah and faced with the prophecy of judgment? King Jehoiakim. He was not going to be a king like Hezekiah. Remember, God asked Jeremiah to preach this sermon at the beginning of Jehoiakim's reign. Well, King Jehoiakim was not going to be like King Hezekiah, and he was not going to actually listen to the prophet God sent and repent and turn back to Yahweh like Hezekiah did. No, he had just begun his reign, and he would go on to reign for 11 wicked years. 11 years of turning from Yahweh. 11 years of turning away from the example of obedient loyalty set by his own father, Josiah. 11 years of turning to other gods, turning to child sacrifice in the worship of the Baals. And so to kick off his 11 wicked years, Jehoiakim had to shut down these prophets pronouncing judgment. And so, he kills another prophet. Now, this prophet's name was Uriah. And he was also called by God to tell the people to turn back to God. He was also called by God to tell the people that if they did not turn back, disaster would befall Judah and its people. Uriah, just like Jeremiah, was faithful in that calling to preach, to tell the people to warn, to offer grace. Uriah, he paid the ultimate price for it. When Uriah heard that King Jehoiakim was out to kill him, Uriah ran. He left Israel and ran to Egypt to hide, and he probably found some obscure village along the Nile and hid among the people. Now, this was probably during the the time when Pharaoh Necho had control of Israel, and so people could travel back and forth between Israel and Egypt with relative ease. Well, when the king had heard Uriah had run to hide, he sent his guards to go to Egypt to find Uriah and to bring him back. Now, if you think about it, this shows how depraved Jehoiakim was at this point. To care enough about punishing a minor prophet that you send a delegation of troops all the way to Egypt to hunt him down? I mean, why go to all the bother? Was it really worth it? Well, in Jehoiakim's depraved mind, it was. And so the guards go to Egypt. They hunt down Uriah. They find him and drag this prophet all the way back to Judah. And King Jehoiakim has him executed by the sword. And then he takes his body and just throws him into the common place where people had no family were buried. King Jehoiakim treated Uriah 
and the word of the Lord with absolute contempt. See, I think the story, the scene from Jeremiah's life in chapter 26, I think it shows that every time Jeremiah preached, he was in real danger. Jeremiah could have suffered the same fate as Uriah. And that as Jeremiah went out to preach every day, he faced the potential threat of offending Jehoiakim and being killed for what he spoke. The Bible goes on to say that one of the reasons this did not happen is because Jeremiah had a friend in high places, and his name was Ahikam, son of Shaphan. Now, Ahikam had some role in the government or or maybe some role in some high-up religious establishment of the day, and he was able to turn the officials' hearts away from killing Jeremiah. Maybe he was involved in that whole trial, and he talked to the officials and, again, was able to turn their hearts away from giving Jeremiah the death sentence. And it's interesting, Ahiakam is the son of Shaphan. And now you've probably heard his, his name before because he was the court official who reported the finding of the copy of the book of the scroll to King Josiah, remember? In fact, Shaphan and many of his sons ended up playing an important role for God in the remaining days of Judah. You know, it's interesting that there are people like Jeremiah still today who continue to preach for God even under the threat of death or imprisonment or torture, but still they go out and do it anyway. They do not let the fear of man stop them. And I hope I can use that to be bolder and more courageous in my own daily witness, to not be afraid to stand up for Christ in the public square. And there are also people like Shaphan and Ahikam who have found themselves in places of prominence and, and use it for the glory of God. They are government officials or have high positions in business or education, and they, they use their influence for good to help preserve the things of God in a wicked, decaying culture. You know, I think it's important to remember that you need to do good where God has planted you. God has called us all to be bold and to not be afraid to name his name wherever God has placed you. Jeremiah was not afraid to name his name when he preached. Ahikam was not afraid to name his name in the work that he did in the government or business of his day. And I think we need to do the same thing today. Simply stand up for Christ when given the opportunity. Don't be afraid to speak for God wherever you are planted. So I just want to encourage you this week. We can learn from the story. Number one, if you are not saved, now is the day of salvation. Salvation is simple, right? All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Put your believing loyalty in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, there is judgment coming. And if you don't, and if you die in your sins, you will be separated from God forever. Or you will face his judgment as well during his second coming. Now is the day of salvation. I think the second thing we can learn is to speak up for God wherever God has placed you. 
You don't have to have the calling of Jeremiah to speak up for God. You just have to be brave enough to speak up for God wherever he's planted you. If you're in elementary school, if you're in middle school, if you're in high school, if you're an adult in a business, if you're an adult in some not-for-profit, wherever God has placed you, just stand up for Jesus and his truth. Speak up for God wherever he has planted you. And then third and finally, when you do speak, remember to give the people a twofold message. God's wrath is coming, but God's grace is still available. Thank you for listening to Bald Head Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.